Do you know what we're f***ing doing here? This is glass half f***ing full and we are not shutting this down. You're not holding us back. F*** you. Welcome everybody to Waste Potential Podcast. Thank you for being patient. Through our January uh, slumber, we all leave a lot of, live a lot of lives, a lot of podcasts. We have to catch up on things, um, but we've been releasing things. And this is part of our new series, obviously, of Glass Half Full. Uh, continuity of time in this doesn't exist, just like the movie, <laughs> so don't worry about it. Um, but today, uh, we, are, we watched Minority Report, and it was brought forth by uh, my lover and partner in pre-crime, and pre-cum, Ronald. <laughs> Thank you for that perfectly adequate introduction there. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Ronald, tell us a little bit about Minority Report and why you chose this film today to discuss. Okay, it is the year 2054 and Tom Cruise runs a lot. <laughs> one of my notes is called run porn <laughs> because even they talk about his son and he runs just like his father yeah it's, and he it's, runs i think it's perfect <laughs> casting if you want the running man i guess i know that i know that, like i know that that's like a stephen king novel and it's schwarzenegger but they should remake the running man and put tom cruise in it just as a joke as he just runs in the background well this is where like if you think about it like this is where like like um all those other movies, like Night and Day, uh, Mission Impossible, all those other, like, Tom Cruise movies, he's always running. He's a very fit man. Yeah, but this one is exceptionally high on the uh, running. Yeah, it's even built into the script. But um, back, to the <laughs> synop- back to the synopsis. In uh, Washington, D.C., in the year 2054, police can predict and stop crime before it happens. They call it the pre-crime division. And using three mutant people, they can predict, quote-unquote, the future. And Chief John Anderton, which is a stupid name, is yeah. accused of pre-killing a man and must prove his innocence. But I think his name, I think there's more to the name. Maybe we'll get into that. I have a theory, but I didn't, re- I didn't do any research, as usual. <laughs> when did you first watch this movie, and um, why'd you bring it forward? <laughs> I, I can't tell if there's like an anger in your voice. Seems more like meh <laughs> in your voice there. Uh-huh. Okay, I will say up front, really enjoyed this movie until the last 15 minutes. And then I was visibly angry and annoyed. This is going to be a very similar review. (laughs) I I feel like this movie is kind of made for both of us. It's got sci-fi, it's got action, it's got a little bit of like moral and ethical conundrums. So I think this movie is right up our alley, actually. It should have had a hell of a lot more, but... Like, anytime I'd really come up against the moral conundrum, it'd be like, <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that part, because that's kind of like the things I love and hate about this movie. They're kind of intertwined there. But um, I saw this in 2002 in theaters, actually, so I was like a young lad. And this is like when I was getting into my Steven Spielberg, like, kind of classics and kind of like like audience favorite movies, like, you know, Jaws, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, all those like really happy movies that are really entertaining and great for like popcorn audiences. So... From there, like, this came out, we went and saw it in theaters, and this was sort of like my Tom Cruise kind of phase, so I got to Spielberg and Tom Cruise because of this this movie. What about you? When did you see this? Um, I think I saw it later. I don't think I ever saw it in theaters. I want to say, like, late high school, early college, and everyone was always talking about Minority Report, and I remember the car jumping scene as being, like, what everyone references Minority Report. Um, because it was like really good looking for the time. 
I want to say, yeah, like, early to late high school, I saw it. And I remember liking the film. I remember thinking it was a very good film. I don't not think that now. <laughs> I think less of it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's got great reviews, and I think those reviews are are uh, have merit, and they have, they're still valid. I, I think, like you said, it falls apart towards the end there. But really quick uh, background, this is a Philip K. Dick story. If you don't know who that is, he's a... Like up there with Ray Bradbury of like seminal science fiction authors. It's a short story. This was made Ray way after he passed away, and the writer is actually side note is named Scott Frank. I never heard of him before, but he directed Queen's Gambit. That's a popular one on Netflix now that everyone's talking about. So I was like, oh look at that. Ah. And this movie is like a sci-fi neo noir action crime thriller. It's got like everything in it. Yeah, it does have a little bit of everything in it. So what would you say your uh, recent reaction was to this? Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, actually. I was a big fan of it, but I don't think I rewatched it as much as other films we've talked about in the past because it's too it's really long. And when I was like growing up, I don't think I had the attention span to appreciate these movies like sci-fi as much. But this is what really got me into like science fiction and like action stuff when I was like, I think I was 10 or 11 when this came out. I was really young. A uh, recent reaction, though, is... I loved 80% of this movie. Yeah, I, as I was watching it, just like everything else that is predictive, and then watching it in 2021, you go, ugh, wow, <laughs> yeah. Um, nailed it a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's the coolest part about the 60s and 50s, 60s, and 70s science fiction authors. Like, they just got it. They, 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 they just leaned into the worst parts of a of authoritarianism and humanity and knew what we would do. <laughs> exactly. But um, a couple of things I'm noticing as the first thing that kind of made my brain break is because uh, if you've never seen the film, it's basically like they're stopping crime. They're stopping murder from happening before it happens. And that's where like the ethical conundrum of like, do you have free will? Do you not have free will? Are we on a timeline? Can we break the timeline? It's kind of interesting stuff there. But um, I've the first thing I noticed was the bureaucracy of it, like the the ridiculousness of they have to get a judge and a doctor to sign off on all of this before they actually investigate the murder. Like I'll see it like in real life. <laughs> yeah, it mirrors the Patriot Act almost seamlessly, because the Patriot Act is I think they like if you have a lead on a terrorist act or organization, you don't have to go through regular courts. You go through a secret what was it Pfizer court or something like that. Sure. And it's literally just these three or four, I don't know how many judges, but it's a secret court that us plebes don't have access to. <laughs> um, I know for drone strikes, it's a thing. And it's just like four or five judges that the president takes his shit to and they say yay or nay and then he gets to murder anyone he wants. <laughs> that's, in, that's interesting because like, this is 2002. So this is right after 9-11. So this is mm -hmm. made probably in 2000, I think. So I don't know if that was just like a Philip K. Dick thing or maybe that was the author kind of diving it in but he called it it was probably like the story existed and obviously people it's a good story to go on for sci-fi but then like the patriot act and all that stuff was big so maybe spielberg thought like yeah fuck bush but the timeline wouldn't wouldn't line up there because he's been they've been trying to make this movie since 97 actually i, I did do research and then mm. and then uh, the author had to the the screenwriter had to rewrite some stuff so i don't think it lines up but man, is it timely though? Regardless of that Spielberg or if that's just like just so happenstance, it's very timely. It fits with the Hollywood factor establishment. Yeah. <laughs> you want to make a new law? Well, here's a movie that says that new law sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Which no, I'm no fan of the Patriot Act. Let's 
Let's just get that out right now. Okay, backtrack, um, backtrack, backtrack. <laughs> I love my country, tis of the sweet land of liberty. <laughs> yeah, but uh, another thing I loved about this, reviewing this, kind of being older now, is I love the cinematography. I love the Dutch angles. I love a lot of fish eye stuff they use, the camera lenses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck up his name. Whatever. It's something Kazminsky, and he's he's excellent. And this one is really stands out. The action is constantly moving, and it feels great. It's so like even when the things lull and get slow, and like the dialogue comes in, the lighting is excellent. So I love that. Rewatching this this time. Yeah. I, I did note something here. I actually have a lot of notes because it had a lot, especially in the beginning, it had a lot to like think about and write down. When they make their first like introductory arrest on the guy that's wife is cheating on him and he goes and he's all pissed off and he's going to stab her with scissors or whatever. They send like eight dudes in like that bust through walls, fly in through the windows. And like, mm-hmm. I was like, you need two officers to show up and arrest him with the six stick. <laughs> Well, that could be just the, 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 the theme of overarching authoritarianism where it's kind of like, you know, I don't want to make the full comparison, but like authoritarian government breaking in and breaking down the doors and kind of overzealously, yeah. And they go heavy with that when poor people get searched by robot spiders mm-hmm. later on. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> I love that scene so much because when the angle's great, the above angle shot's excellent, but it's also like the couple's like having sex and they get flashed in the eyes. The couple's like arguing about to punch each other. The robots come up, scan their eyes, and just walk away and don't care. <laughs> and everyone just keeps going about, yeah. I will say, I don't, I mean, Spielberg's done like Schindler's List, but as far as like message movies go, where he's like, sending what you feel like is a message this one's really good at at some deft touches uh you don't feel battered over the head with the message and i like that a lot because it's obvious but at the same time it's not so obvious like rich people don't get searched by robot spiders Mm -hmm. they never sick robot spiders on rich people they specifically use them on the poor people in the slums yeah, but the argument could also be is they know he's in the slums because the the slums don't have the eye identification thing. So so regardless if that was intentional or not intentional, the plot kind of waves through that one without getting too preachy or messy, I think. But but once again, it, it does tie into that good theme of authoritarianism. Like people with less money are going to get like overpowered. Oh, yeah. And uh, another note that's very obvious is the product placement in this. Mm-hmm. I wrote... Um, my first note was very tactful product placement. Like I like how it wasn't, it's obvious it's product placement, but it still is playing towards the movie and the story. So it's like, oh, okay, I like that. If you at least hide it in that sense. And I go dot, dot, dot. Okay, never mind, Lexus. <laughs> <laughs> I think they had a hard time getting money for this because I was reading some trivia about it and a bunch of companies dumped a bunch of money into it. And like Lexus is, is, is like in the plot of the film. We're like, like, we're, yeah. we're, we're like, it's literally the cars are being put together. So I think, I, I know it's hitting you on the head, but to me it's, it's obvious, but it kind of fits the world really well. I think Spielberg's good at embedding exposition and product placement better than other people. Once again, you, but you get a point to a certain extent. It's subtle. The Lexus thing is definitely hammer over the head. Yeah, especially the end where he's pulled up in the red one and, like, the whole car is dusty except for the shiny Lexus symbol that the camera centers onto the screen. Like, it was really bad. I was like, okay, <laughs> you were doing really well, 
until that one. The camera pans away from the main characters to center up the Lexus logo. It's so bad. Yeah, there's subtlety, subtle tax, but if Lexus is going to dump $10 million into your film, you got to make it look like a nice commercial. Oh, yeah, you know. But, um, but the other stuff I do... I like the whole The Gap, the Coca-Cola stuff. I like all the other mm-hmm. product placements because it's it's like, it's in your face like it is now, but it's even worse because it, it's like, like it's identifying your eyes and giving you specific like, um, like uh, commercials and like ads just for you. It's pretty great. A road diverges in the desert. Lexus. The road you're on, John Anderton, is the one less traveled. Hello, Mr. Yakamoto. Welcome back to the Gap. How those assorted tank tops work out for you? Yeah, I watching it now. I feel like the 2002 audience has no idea how this film feels now, <laughs> with like targeting advertising algorithms and all the things we know now. The film, I think, is almost better now, in that sense, because it it's too close to home. <laughs> One of my favorite subtle details that I never noticed and noticed now was uh, when he's eating the cereal and the cereal's singing a jingle to him, like right then and there, the box is singing to him and he throws it away. I'm like, that's so awesome. It's a little touch, but it's kind of like the advertisement's so obnoxious. So, like if you go online now and type in something, Google, like things will pop up on ads, but like that boxing is even the next level of like in your face. I'm going to ask you this up front. Did you see the bad guy reveal from the beginning? Oh, I was 10, so no. Uh, Not the first time, this time. I mean, I don't know if you remember who the bad guy was. I didn't remember, and I made the call in the first 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was easy. I think it's painfully obvious when when John Anderton's, like, going over this, and he realizes it's like things are hiding, and it's like, well, there's only one person that we know of who has access to these things, so it's got to be Max von Sydow. Like, who else could it be? Right. It's like... And they didn't play Colin Farrell evil enough. They kind of want you to think it's the U.S. government, but I'm like, why and no? Colin Farrell wouldn't have any reason why he'd go through this elaborate framing scheme. He'd just arrest everyone in the building or, like, do something a little more on the head. But, like, when... Oh, spoiler alert, everybody. We're going to talk about how it ends. So if you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch. Go see it. It's. I feel like I've seen this story before. It's like, oh, the classic mentor who's super close. You know, you would have never seen the betrayal coming. But then he's obviously cares about money and power more than he cares about the his, you know, figurative son. I, I spotted that a mile away. It didn't totally ruin the movie, but it was like, eh, this is so simple. Um, I think in a different movie, it'd be more upsetting. This movie, the mystery is not interesting to me at all. I like the world and I like the action i like the uh the ethical dilemma of it so yeah i think from a mystery standpoint it's pretty obvious and it's like well who could it be is it the person who invented it and doesn't want it destroyed probably that guy but i th- i think on i think on everything else it works but you're right it's it's obvious and they try to make colin farrell like the bad guy which is interesting i noticed this time i'm like oh he's not he's just a guy who who is a bureaucrat who's got like a very staunch like religious kind of foundation which i'll get into later so that's why he like he like holds tom cruise uh, accountable for the drugs thing and he's very like by the book type thing but then in the end is he figures out the mystery and he's like he's he almost does it. it's like well who could the bad guy be he even says it's gonna be someone who's really old who has access to everything <laughs> i was like he didn't figure it out i was waiting for him to be like 
and j'accuse. <laughs> and the guy's like, ha ha, bang. You know what I mean? Like, instead he's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I don't like uh, they kill him, kill off Colin Farrell in this, but I was like, eh, gotta add some more drama, whatever. We keep bringing up the action, which I agree, stellar action film. Except the jetpack fight. I wrote that down too. The exact same thing I wrote down. <laughs> I wrote down the I wrote jetpack is seen as goofy, and it's like, um, did you see the movie Spielberg movie actually? AI artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. There's one scene in there where the ATV scenes are going around where it feels so out of place. This is the exact same scene. The jetpack ATV is just so comically goofy. <laughs> oh yeah, this film doesn't really feel like a Spielberg film except when you get these weird. Sp- movie scores and that jetpack scene you go what what it's like and he's like like they're like boing like bounce it's ridiculous yeah there there's good comedy in this and this is bad it's almost like i don't know if it's supposed to be serious but that that's that's the biggest point where because my wife was half watching it and she goes what's going on i'm like i don't know this is goofy i don't think this is aged well yeah there's also points in the film where it's like it's got this, like, I'm sure you can think of it, it's like. You know, that, like, classic mystery action kind of feel. And then it's just like. Wait, 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 wait. Why is this in there? It's like this weird, like, Indiana Jones B-roll score that gets sprinkled in there. And you're like, what? Wait, what? That doesn't fit at all. It's like it needs to keep that classic, like, God damn it, it's born, like, feel to it. But it'll break it with the music sometimes. See, you notice, you're more of a music guy. You notice those things more than I do. I, music is like, I know the importance of music in movies, but unless it's, like, jarring, I didn't notice it. But I'll have to listen to it. It's John Williams, though, surprisingly. Yeah, it had a William-esque feel. But I was like, I feel like, you know, I, I don't want to blaspheme here. But I feel like Williams was like, he got it on the score, and then he's like, ah, oh, shit, I need some more. And he's like, well, just... <laughs> and we're now, everyone's turning this off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just drop that in there. Like, it was too Williams-y for this, uh, you know. I didn't notice it, but I'll take your word for it. And last thing I, I noticed, reaction, a recent reaction, is just the horror like the eye surgery scene and when the spiders are going through the apartments. I'm like, this is great horror. This movie jumps from good sci-fi, good action, good horror, good drama. I feel like in a different movie, it could be jarring, but Spielberg knows how to tie all those things in and even have some comedy. Spielberg is just, this is like the stupidest statement ever, but Spielberg is a master of cinema of just kind of like, I can reel in all these things and it still feels cohesive, except for jetpacks. Yeah, the jetpacks he, he failed on. Um, I do have one issue with the eye scene. These are small points, but, uh, so they go through this whole thing where he like jabs him without him knowing. And he's like, oh, that's anesthesia. You're feeling woozy now. And they start to spike this tension where he's like, do you remember me? You don't remember me, do you? We know each other? Oh, yes, we do. How we go way back. Uh, Solomon Pietti, MD. I was a plastic surgeon. You remember? I put you away. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> you made those tapes. They were performance pieces. <laughs> you set your patients on fire. I'll put them out. 
Some not as quickly as others, but let's change the subject, shall we? The future is so much more interesting than the past, don't you think? You think this is going to lead to, like, some weird, like, where Tom Cruise, half awake, is trying to, like, not get his eyes plucked out. Yes, I spent time in prison being raped because you arrested me for burning people alive. And you're like, oh, no. Like, he thought he was going to get new eyes, but instead this dude's going to fuck him up now. But he's like, and now you're getting sleepy and I will take my revenge. All right, so uh, don't take the bandages off for 12 hours. Uh, we put some food in the fridge. Okay, bye. Like... <laughs> I would say if he if you if you went the full like revenge the plot's ruined and then but two I guess the revenge is the spoiled milk and sandwich thing <laughs> got him good <laughs> in Russia a slow burn sit down Nadia <laughs> I have finally been presented with the perfect opportunity for revenge the cop who put me in prison for years needs new eyeballs I will take his eyeballs and then I will plant nasty food in the fridge and he will vomit when he eats it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it uh that's kind of one of those things is you introduce it but then you don't you can't get out of it yeah they should have just played him as a sketchy doctor not like and maybe he robbed him or something but gave him eyes i don't know that whole when they did that they set up something very scary and you're like tense you're like oh no and like it, it, it was good and then it didn't happen luckily the action that followed it was good but I was very let down by that. Once again, going with my theme of looking at this movie, I want to put up just small subtitles of no balls. <laughs> we'll get to that. This is the part where we talk about three things that we can pinpoint and love uh, about this film. Uh, let's talk about some things. Uh, my first thing on there is uh, technology. Mm-hmm. I love the technology a lot. Um, it's got like, um, I love how it's, supposedly Spielberg hired a bunch of like experts to like plan out how it 50 years in the future look. And I feel like it really is. Cause it's like the, the most obvious thing is flying cars. Well, they don't have flying cars, but they have self-driving cars. You still have like all the like congestion on the highway. So I feel like that's really in the world. I love the world of this. I love the large screens. I love the thriller gr- gloves where they have to like take those sc- screens <laughs> yeah. and move things around. I love the USB looking slides where they like kind of take information and put it into the different like screen. I love the Google Home Alexa type stuff where it's like all those things are kind of interconnected. The home movie projections, it's almost like they put film on little like those clear USB drives. So it's kind of like old, but also kind of like new age. I like that a lot. I, th- I think it's tied into like the, the Philip K. Dick story where it's like that was written in the 60s. So it's kind of like you're putting in film reels with like USB things. I love the retinal scanners. That's very close to home. I love the weird yoga. That weird scene where he jumps into that that the room and the weird yoga. It's like, yep, that's what some some yoga hosers would be doing. <laughs> I love I love the uh, VR fantasy. I'm like, that's so today. Where it's like, oh yeah. We're nowadays where we can bang like robots and things in VR. And finally, the weirdest thing. Wait, we can bang robots. You can bang robots now. Uh, you order yours from China or Japan. Wasted potential listeners. Fund us a bang bot. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Or not. Cut that. Cut that. <laughs> we promise any money sent to us will be used for a bang bot. <laughs> that is a wasted potential promise. And then we'll podcast with it. <laughs> we won't fuck it. I'll be right back. <laughs> Hi there. Talking to people is my primary function. The robots are designed to look very human-like. I feel like I can be a good partner to humans in these areas. 
And uh, and this this is the only thing my wife has to add to this podcast is she's like, oh look, they have trees inside to build oxygen. I'm like, oh that's cool. <laughs> that she had to add to the podcast. Oh. But I was thinking like maybe. But not only that, but even future trees try to kill you. Yeah, I was gonna say that too. But <laughs> I guess it's a little touch, right? That maybe in the future the oxygen is shit, so they have trees inside their house. I don't know. I was like, okay, it's a cool little touch, and I feel like adding that. So shout out to him, my wife for adding one thing to this podcast. <laughs> one goddamn thing. <laughs> but yeah, like, I love the technology in the world. I love the um, the fear. I love how all totalitarian or like um, authoritarian governments use fear. I love the commercials where. Imagine a world without murder. I lost my best friend. I lost my aunt. I lost my dad. I lost my father. I lost my wife. Just six years ago, the homicide rate in this country had reached epidemic proportions. It seemed that only a miracle could stop the bloodshed. Within just one month under the pre-crime program, the murder rate in the District of Columbia was reduced 90%. They were going to be waiting for me in the car. He was going to rape me. I was going to be stabbed. Right here. Within a year, pre-crime effectively stopped murder in our nation's capital. Pre-crime? It works. 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 I love that. Thank you, big brother. Exactly. Um, I love the politics where they're going to, it's very close. It's perfectly with the United States where it's like, we're going to push across America. We're putting these little spots here to test it out. And then we're going to push it across the entire country and go national. I'm like, yep. Sounds about right. Yeah. Leave it to us to give a private company the right to arrest people before they commit a crime. <laughs> hey, that's perfect, man. They they call that stuff in like the sixties as well, like saying like the the police would be owned by corporations, aka Robocop, or like um I know that like public parking lots are now owned by companies. So it's like, well yeah, all these public things are now owned by private companies. I get it. It's a great like juxtaposition. While Tom Cruise is running in the slums, they're playing that uh the nice video I just mentioned right there where it's like, oh Pre-crime saves the world, and then Tom Cruise is running through these slums, and there's drugs everywhere, and all this misery. I'm like, I love the juxtaposition of... Pre-crime doesn't really work down there. It only works for murder. <laughs> well, I guess rape, it works for violent crimes, I guess? Well, let's dive into the muck here, because the, the thing I do love about good sci-fi is an ethical, philosophical dilemma. This one's about free will, I know... In our 2020 recap, I mentioned devs. It's a very similar free will where it's like, do we have free will or not? So let's dive into the muck of this. You had a problem with mm-hmm. the plot points of murder. Ah, yes. Um, they kind of play... So I decided that I could break this film because of how they end it. So here's what my perfect ending would have been. I'm going to just kind of spell it out now. So John gets haloed, right, and put in prison um, because... It looks like the bad guy's plan has kind of worked out, right? But he told his wife, Lara, the whole deets. And she goes to the office of Lamar, the his mentor slash bad guy. And I thought her whole goal of that office trip was to elicit a murderous thought from him. When she's like, yeah, you know, Anne Lively. And he's like, how'd you know She's like, I didn't say he drowned. And I thought all that suspense was building up for them to be like, freeze, like as they bust in and arrest him. And I think it should have ended with Lamar and him being put in prison and it's still going to go national. But we know now that it's fallible, right? And we know that Agatha from her little stupor nutrient tank 
can affect things because she has free will too. So like it's not a happy ending per se, but you can already see the cracks in the system forming so that maybe eventually it'll fall on itself. But we do have the bad guy being put in prison and the good guy does kind of win because they topple the big bad guy. But they totally stay away from that and like everyone is happy and we all make the right decisions and we all get to live in a cabin in Vermont. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) The only problem with that is as soon as the the leader of pre-crime is a murderer and they figure out that you have free will, then it topples it. So you wouldn't have it. So I feel like your idea of Lamar getting arrested, John maybe getting arrested because I guess he kind of murdered him and they won't know for sure. Agatha's not going to testify because she's crazy. But um, you, you can't really keep the system in place unless they do a cover-up, right? Okay, but when has the U.S. government ever been like, oh no, it doesn't totally work. We're not going to still go with this terrible thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, when... I mean, mean, we don't have a bunch of people in prison right now for something that's totally legal. But, um, (laughs) you know, because the U.S. government always shies away from something that's infallible, right? (laughs) I guess the argumentation would be like, it's only in D.C., right? Do they mention L.A.? Or just just, just D.C.? Yeah, it's only in D.C. Well, that's that's not even a state. So this is like a... Because I know Tom Cruise at the end calls it the the pre-crime test. So it's not even like a thing. Mm -hmm. So... I would go with, they already mentioned the ACLU at one point, and then what's his face? Um, Colin Farrell or Danny Whitwer says, like, I'm not here to destroy it, I'm here to find flaws. But I don't know, I feel like with this, that would be an absolute shit show, and they would not let this re- roll out into reality. I don't know. This is where, this is my problem, is the more you delve into understanding the pre-crime, the more ridiculous it is because I think, I think yeah. we talked, to it, talked about it before we started actually recording the podcast, but the logic is these three precogs, they were like drug babies, right? They had like problems with their brains mm-hmm. because their parents did drugs. So then this researcher decides to go through, go into their and genetically modify them to fix them. But in the accident, mutation happens and they can see the future. Whatever, that's bullshit. But it's X Men. But yeah, but it's it's sci fi. Whatever, you can forgive the sci fi stuff. My problem is is like when they say they can detect murders because murder is the most evil thing that destroys human. I'm like, well, that's not science anymore. That's like an emotional BS argument about mm-hmm. like a world being connected by spirituality. That's what I'm like, ah, don't do that. Just say they can detect all crime. Why just do murder? I don't get why they don't do that. But. It is what it is, but yeah. the more you dive into it, the more confusing it is, because then that's just the basic level. Then they get into echoes. How confusing is shit of the uh-huh. echoes, where it's like, oh, they see something a second time, possibly, like, they get, so basically these precogs are in this, this, like, like kind of like cum uh, gel or whatever, and it helps them, <laughs> it helps them, like, take their images in their head and put it images on a screen, which doesn't make sense also, but whatever, it's sci-fi stuff. And then they say sometimes they see things a second time, but those are called echoes. And then they just flush those out like abortions and say, you know what? We don't want those echoes here because they're replays. But Mike, I feel like that's a really messed up system where it's like, hey, did you like double check those echoes? Now nah, we're good. Flush it out. <laughs> it's like, what? There's no way someone would ever murder someone at the same place. Right? <laughs> <laughs> then you get into minority reports where one of the precogs will have a vision that's different than the other two. But if Agatha is 
the strongest, better of the two. That wouldn't be a minority report. Sure, by numbers, it's a minority report, but it would be a majority of, like, power report, right? Because she's more powerful. So I was like, this is getting convoluted. And I read this short story a long time ago, so I don't remember every little aspect, but I think it was way more simplified. I think the, when you delve into trying to explain this, it gets like, ah, stop it. Just, just stop. Just tell me we understand crime in the future. It's easier. I don't know if it'd make it better. I understand that you kind of, you have to explain a little bit to understand this premise. Like, you have to give us something. But I feel like you could have done, like, some weird thing with a supercomputer that does a, a, a predictive behavior and shit like that. And can somewhat, not foresee the future, but predict the future to, a, like, a certain percent certainty. That's called the TV show Devs, by the way. Oh. Yay. Sorry. So, sorry. So everybody, Shane wrote the, the TV show Devs <laughs> right now. Oh. Sorry. Does Tom Cruise run through that movie too? <laughs> that show? No one runs. I don't think it's a running movie. It's different. It's much more talky. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Sorry. You, you're making a good point though. Supercomputer. I like the precogs. I like it because it delves into my... I don't mind them. Yeah. I think it's fine. I think with sci-fi, you have to give a little. I think you... I, I, I don't think that bothers me. I think what it delves into when Lamar and the nursery lady with the, the flowers. The geneticist that invented them, yeah. When they're talking, I'm like, this is nonsense. I was like, just to stop this. So the Minority Report thing itself is a little nonsensy, but it has to work for the plot. But when she's babbling on and on, giving those like half prophecies, half like... I can't help you. Nobody can. The precogs are never wrong. But occasionally... They do disagree. Most of the time, all three precognitives will see an event in the same way, but once in a while, one of them will see things differently than the other two. Jesus Christ. Why didn't I know about this? Because these minority reports are destroyed to the instant they occur. Why? Obviously, for pre-crime to function, there can't be any suggestion of fallibility. After all, who wants a justice system that instills doubt? It may be reasonable, but it's still doubt. Are you saying I've haloed innocent people? saying that every so often those accused of a pre-crime might just might have an alternate future. I used to joke with Lamar that we were the mother and father of pre-crime. Well, in my experience, parents very often see their children as they want them to be and not as they are. Answer my question. Does Lamar Burgess know about the minority report? Yes, of course, he knew. But at the time, he felt, we both felt, that their existence was an insignificant variable. Why should I trust you? You shouldn't shouldn't trust anyone certainly not the attorney general who just wants it all for himself and not the young federal agent who wants your job not even the old man who just wants to hang on to what he created don't trust anyone just find the minority report i know what you're doing but this is getting upon the point of frustration where it's like tom cruise is asking simple questions and she's giving them like almost like parables she's giving them like kind of like like yeah. these very um misty kind of unclear things like Lady, just tell us what's going on here. This is getting annoying. Yeah, I think it would have been more fun with her now that you bring her up. She was kind of half-baked in this movie. Yeah. Um, maybe in the short story, she's more flushed out. It makes more sense. But, like, they kind of hint at her being a prisoner and stuff. And I think it would have been much better. You can't kill her because the precogs would spot it, right? Mm -hmm. So you just imprison her in her own house forever. Because you caught her saving minority reports, and you don't know where she saved them. And then she tells Tom Cruise, I've saved them in this vault. You have to dive into a <laughs> volcano <laughs> bank to, to save it, to get the, the backup minority reports and release them to the press. There you go. My problem with her is, 
I don't get her motivation. She seems, like you said, Neither do she I. seems like half-baked where like, it's almost like she's she's lost her mind over the years because maybe she has some guilt realizing the truth, but also she yeah. doesn't want to disrupt it. She says like, the system's infallible and she says like, this is it. But then she tells him to go find them on a report. I was like, I don't know what to think anymore. That's why I'm, I think for most of the part, this movie holds up. It's... But like you said, the more you delve into it, it's like, this is nonsense. But most sci-fi is nonsense. But that scene is a... She, her motivation is really unclear because it seems like she wants to keep her baby intact. But then she also has these, mm-hmm. like... She, she like pontificates and says, like, it was a mistake. I meant to save these kids. And eventually they became used as basically slave labor. Because they're... Because they say at one point, they're not human. Don't think of them human. I'm like, oh, there's a good theme of, like... They don't have their rights, but they don't really delve into that too much. Yeah, they kind of skirt. I mean, they 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 paint a little bit about these are fucking three humans that are kept in this mush gel, and this one dude just fucks them and brushes their teeth. Oh yeah, and and like whispers in them and takes care of them, but like they're humans. Like he she wakes up and walks around with him and talks to him, and I'm like, oh god, we're kind of really skirting around this like that's dark that's the that's <laughs> the thing i do like and you mentioned subtleties there's a lot of subtle things in here that a lot of themes it's, it's like it's very it's i think most sci-fi nowadays is a little more obvious this one intentionally or unintentionally has a lot of those things like i'm gonna go if you don't mind me transitioning now i saw transition this kind of goes back to your last question about new things versus things you like I noticed like a very religious theme here, and I, I know Philip K. Dick mm-hmm. does not have any um, soft spot for religion or for people who are religious. But I, was, I took some notes down. Let me let's try to walk through this together. So I was thinking like this is just right. an, an analogy for religion. Like it's very symbolic. Like like for example, John Anderton's a religious zealot. He believes in the system. It has to be a system. He believes in it entirely. There's no problems believing in the God. I guess pre-crime is God or like the scripture. And you get like Agatha's, like the tortured prophet who has this ability who can see things and knows the truth, but then is used inappropriately. She's almost kind of like the word of God, like the prophet, like saying things, but then how humans hear the word, we distort it and use it inappropriately. And then you get Lamar, who I think his name is Lamar Burton, right? I kept yeah. I kept wanting to calling. Maybe I'm getting it wrong, but I, I kept thinking of uh, Lavar Burton, who is reading Rainbow, or Jordy from uh, Star Trek. <laughs> I kept getting them confused. But, but then you get Lamar, who's the figurehead. He's pulling the strings. He's hiding the true intention, and he's lying to the people. And then now that you mentioned, I was thinking about it. I was thinking uh, Colin Farrell's character or Danny Whitworth's character. He's like, he's almost like a hypocrite. He's like, he says one thing, kind of does the opposite, and realizes that he's wrong, kind of in the way. So he's very strong like religious tie-ins to this theme of like do you have free will do we actually live in like if you believe in god and if god predestines all these things in advance do you have free will so it's a very i think it's a it's subtle enough but it's also obvious enough to kind of delve into like those like symbolism yeah he even makes a comment where he's like oh you even refer to it as the temple and they're like oh it's just a figure of speech and he's like it's better if you don't think of them as human no, they're much more than that. Science has stolen most of our miracles. In a way, they give us hope. Hope of the existence of the divine. I find it interesting that some people have begun to deify the precogs. Precogs are pattern recognition filters, that's all. Yet you call this room the temple. Just a nickname. 
The oracle isn't where the power is anyway. The power's always been with the priests, even if they had to invent the oracle. But you guys are nodding like you actually know what the hell he's talking about. Well, come on, Chief. The way we work, changing destiny and all, I mean, we're more like clergy than cops. <clears throat> Sorry. Old habit. I spent three years at Fuller Seminary before I became a cop. My father was very proud. What does he think of your chosen line of work? I don't know. He was shot and killed when I was 15 on the steps of our church in Dublin. Uh, everyone knows the power's always been with the priests, not the oracle. Like, it's it's the priests who control the temple that rule, not the oracle who lives in it. Yeah, it's, that, that part's a little obvious. And, and then the, the one character, I think Jax is his name, says, I think we're clergy and not police officers. Do you get it? Like, oh, come on, don't do that. Don't make it that obvious. Yeah, it's, it's a little much. And he's just a good Irish cop, he's Catholic. <laughs> no, just like my father before me. <laughs> he even has the rosary, and his father was gunned down outside of his church. He's supposed to be a clergy, but then his father's gunned down, so you take the the big leaps there of saying, like, well, then he probably lost his faith, and now they'll into a different religion, a bureaucracy, basically trying to always be right and prove everything wrong. So it's kind of like it ties into a lot. Yeah, so now that we talk about Colin Farrell, I like him in this movie. As an actor, he's so hit or miss for me. He's either like a wild miss or a massive hit. In this one, I think he's a hit. The problem with his character, though, is I like I like the good cop played as the bad guy, but really he's just... He, he's rightfully putting um, the main character's feet to the fire, but... He figures out the conspiracy way too fast and for no goddamn reason. Like, his job is to come investigate and oversee pre-crime on behalf of the Attorney General. And they kind of hint that he wants to destroy it or find flaws, right? The problem with Colin Farrell's character is he is what he has to be. At first you think he's there to destroy it, then he's there to save it, then he's there to take it over. It's not really clear what his intention is. I think he's just... He is what he has to be. Yeah. I think they could have like given him more purpose that to, for us to understand why he's doing this. Um, where I get where it really broke my suspense or belief when he's like, you know where we are right now? I used to work homicide for five years. What were you, a traffic cop? And he's like, we call this an orgy of evidence. He would not. He would walk in because okay, he's like, what... What child rapist lays out every victim he's ever done on a bed? I was like, that probably happens a lot. <laughs> Don't serial killers build shrines? Like, of their murders? Some? Like, that's not the most damning thing I've seen in there. You know? Like, he should have, like... He just immediately was like, this is a setup. And you're like, what? Anyone would have walked in that and been like, ooh. Alright, well, this makes sense. I was thinking it was a little obvious and on the nose and kind of an obvious setup, but like it would make more sense if like the pictures were put on the wall. It was his house, but and like in I guess it is his apartment. I don't know. It's on the bed though. Like he sleeps on the bed. That's, that seems obvious. If it was on the walls, I would think I'd buy it more. <laughs> Ronnie would have caught it because of practical reasons. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Beds are for sleeping, not photos. <laughs> No, but you make a good point. Like, he, he makes these huge leaps and, like... It's a very large leap. Because Colin Farrell's character is kind of like, I find the problems in things. That's okay. I can kind of see that because he's he sees the, the human flaw of things. So I, I kind of get it, but I think it'd be better established if 
the problem is this movie's too long and you can't build out yes. you, you can't explain the character of Danny Whitmer any longer because it's going to be too long of a movie so I, that one didn't bother me but I, but you make a good point though I, I see like well why not why not someone like who puts out these like the this is their Dexter ritual like I got to put out the pictures on the bed and then I kill someone who knows yeah, they, they should have used Whitwer to tie it all up in the end where he arrests Lamar or something like that for a pre-crime. Or he brings home justice, you know? And John, being the zealot that brings the church down, crumbles with the church. And Whitwer... Or even better, Whitwer is the atheist who comes in, sees the problems, establishes it, says and tells John the truth, and then like he... He saves John's life. So it's like a reverse Christ. Like, you're taking down the religion to save someone's soul, maybe. So why not? We're kind of nitpicking it a little bit, but the ending is, is just so bad that it really... It's frustrating. It was like such a good meal, and then I got a mouthful of shit milk <laughs> for, for the end. For, for the dessert? <laughs> I was viscerally mad at the end. Because it feels almost like a re-edit like, it's so out of place and tonally off that I'm like, they must have had a dark ending and test audiences were like, ew. I don't think there was rewrites. This is where, I was writing, was watching the movie, I was thinking, let's dive into your last question. Because I, I feel I feel like the thing you and I would want to change is going to be the ending. So let's just dive into the last section here and just talk about the ending. So, um... When I was watching the film, I was like, "This doesn't feel like it doesn't feel Spielbergian. Spielberg like is very sentimental." And then the last thirty minutes, I was like, "And here we go. We get a whole like can like like it's a canvas of a film, and then he just dumps a big old bucket of Spielbergian schmaltz and sentimentality that feels off of it." For so, for example, don't want to spoil this, but if you have not read the the short story by Philip K. Dick. It, uh, it ends with John Anderton killing himself because he refuses to believe the system is flawed. It's a, the, the movie and the short story are way different. But the ending is definitely a downer because sci-fi usually ends in a downer. They don't want to do that because Spielberg probably wouldn't want to do that, which is totally fine. You want a happier ending. I was hoping it would end with like John locked up. I, I was I was I was thinking like man that would be a downer this which isn't very Spielbergian but I was like man just he gets locked up and he pays the punishment for following blindly into like a religion I was like oh okay that's interesting right you can do like the kind of the glass half full is there's now Prekheim has been exposed for the sh- you know the crock of shit it is yeah it's easy to prevent crime when you and inv- in, you know imprison everybody. <laughs> who actually considers like having a bad day and wanting to strangle someone anyone who has motive just gets put in prison like and then i was thinking the worst part of it is we're nitpicking we enjoy this movie but we're just nitpicking because it's the whole point of this podcast and um the part that really upset me i was like hey, i'm done with this is when um the ending is so like cliched and cinematic where it's like he shows the video and then tom cruise is talking to him on the phone and saying, and there's this like very dumb, like obvious, like monologue about like this is what you wanted to do, Lamar, but this is what we're actually doing here. And and they do the full face off on the the patio, and he shoots himself. And I was like, ah, this is super cinematic, and it feels bigger and grander. But I was like, man, I liked it before I got to that ridiculous kind of ending. Yeah, like 
Lamar shooting himself was kind of a nice little twist. I did not call that one. And I was okay with it a little bit. Like, I knew they had to set him up to think murderous thoughts, right? That's the obvious way that they were going to bring him down with his own system, right? That's the cinematic and uh, storytelling way that you would end him. With him shooting himself, I think they should have done something a little more clever in the dialogue for him to be like, you're right, there's only one way to solve this. And then he shoots himself. But by he also knows that by doing that, he is breaking the pre-crime unit because they go, wait, 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 he was supposed to kill Tom. He shot himself. This shit doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very heavy-handed at the end because Tom Cruise has to say, if you kill me, he keeps going, but then you're arrested. But if you don't kill me, then it ruins everything. I'm like, you're really narrowing this down to the end there. Because it could be like, they could arrest you before he kills you. Because the other way, you're a murderer. And then you're both going to prison. Or you could kill Tom, keep your legacy intact that pre-crime is still a thing. You go to prison. I, it's, it's a very muddy ending. And I don't think there's a perfect way to end it the way that they're going. But it does tie everything in with the bow. But that bow is ugly to me. It's not as right. It's not as satisfying to me as the viewer. But I'm sure for eighty percent of the audiences, it's satisfying. When I was a kid, I liked it. I was like, oh, okay, it ties up. But you know, I'm older. One of the last little things I really love the scene where he comes face to face with the guy he thinks killed his son or kidnapped and killed his son. About the idea of if you know your future, you have choice. You know, kind of toying with that free will. I do like, I liked that scene a lot. You can choose. You can choose. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say or do can be used against you in a court of law. Even though you're like, okay, buddy, you're going to arrest him. Um, you're kind of a fugitive. What the? F- <laughs> no, but that scene is great. I, I agree, agree with you. It's a great scene because it's like it's all that tension, that build up, and then John has this breakdown where like he realizes that he has free will, and that's when it should have ended. It should have ended closer to that because it's like John realizes that he's having two emotional breakdowns. His son's dead, but also everything he believes in is broken. Oh, it's 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 great. It's a great. Writing, it's greatly filmed. Tom Cruise kills that scene. That's like one of the best scenes of the film. So I think you make a good point there. So don't undercut it. It's a great scene. Tom Cruise, hell of a good looking dude. God, he's <laughs> Not as jacked as they make him look though. Some scenes are like, oh yeah, look at his arms. Oh, he's jacked. And then he has his shirt off. You're like, wait, he's not that jacked. He's healthy. He's, he's a runner. He's a runner's body. <laughs> it's a runner's body. And his, his son, he's older. He's 23. And he runs. <laughs> He runs so fast, just like his dad. And I just picture Tommy like, God damn right. Yeah, yeah you're running. <laughs> it's, sm- it's smaltzy, but I th- that works. The scene the scene we're talking about is when uh, Agatha is basically predicting a different timeline, right? I'm guessing that right. It's a different timeline for, um, for Sean, yeah. his dead son, saying like what could have happened. So he's telling uh, his wife and uh, Tom Cruise that like this is what could have happened if if Sean lived, which side note, 
I feel like Tom Cruise's wife is so underwritten and she's only in there to like <laughs> keep the plot going. I'm like, oh, you could have made her a bigger deal. She should have been in there longer. Agatha's powers also are very specialized in the beginning. And then when she's freed, she now can just predict anything. Like Umbrella, the balloons. I mean, it's a fun little chase scene. I like that chase scene and how she's using precognition to do that. But her powers are very undefined. She has like dead eye confusion where it's like they say, oh, they can only predict murders, but I guess they can also predict 10 seconds in the future, which is, that's fine. Establish that in your world. I guess the point of that scene is to show that Agatha is more powerful than what they are using her for. So eh, mm. it's, it's fine. It's, this movie is not clean cut and it doesn't fully feel perfect, but I think it's an excellent sci-fi. It's, it's got a good ethical dilemma about free will which we didn't really talk about too much but we did delve into which is kind of the film it mentions it it doesn't spend too much time on it it oversimplifies it i hate that scene when he takes the ball and rolls it and says but it's not the future if you stop it isn't that a fundamental paradox yes it is you're talking about predetermination which happens all the time why'd you catch that because it was gonna fall you're certain yeah but it didn't fall. You caught it. The fact that you prevented it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. You ever get any false positives? Someone intends to kill his boss or his wife, but they never go through with it. How do the precogs tell the difference? Precogs don't see what you intend to do. Only what you will do. I'm like, okay, I get it. You're doing like a lesson in like a, like a middle school class and explain what free will is. Yeah. But in real life, that ball could go off in a thousand different perspectives of ways of rolling. You're just on one track. Yeah, and like you you initiated it too. Like there's there's a lot of factors that you're not accounting for too, which, you know, yada, yada, yada. But this really brings me into my segue of, I guess we'll watch next, the powerful precognition film Next featuring Nicolas Cage, where he can see 30 seconds into the future and fights his way to the top. I'm just kidding. We're not going to watch that fucking film. You know what's really ironic that you had no idea is Philip K. Dick wrote that short story. No. Yep, that is a based upon a short story by Philip K. Dick. Damn you, Nicholas Cage. How funny, you had no idea about that. Yeah, so much for free will. See, I don't have any free will. I'm just being told what to do by Philip K. Dick. He is God. I already mentioned we highly recommend this film. There's flaws, but all science fiction stories, movies have flaws. I don't I don't think it breaks it. I think the ending for us is disappointing and how we would do it, but I can't recommend this movie more. It's a little long, but I think it's I think the first two hours fly by and the last twenty minutes really like whoa. This may be like some rose colored glasses, but it reminds me of a time when blockbusters could be smarter and better than they are. This isn't about Thor figuring out how to fight someone that can see 30 seconds into the future. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till next week when we watch Transformers movies. Hey, <laughs> <Yay>, from the <laughs> top. <laughs> we'll take the Shia LaBeouf challenge where we watch every movie that Shia LaBeouf has made as we lock ourselves in a room. I just want to watch, um, I think it's Nymphomaniac, the Lars von Trier movies where he shows his dick. I just want to show, I just want to see some Shia LaBeouf. It's, uh... It's a weird fucking film, man. I I don't I don't like it. The rapey. Oh my god! You don't know Lars von Trier? Then I'm gonna introduce him in a different, <laughs> in a much later episode. <laughs> well, I mean, I 
I saw Nymphomaniac 1 and 2. So you know Lars von Trier. Okay, (laughs) wait till next time when we watch Antichrist and Melancholia and the house that Jack built and then Shane kills himself because it's miserable. (laughs) Doesn't he do uh, I Spit on Your Grave too or something? No, that's... um... That's a different thing. That's a, that's a, I think it's a Korean film remade. Ugh, God, that one still haunts me. Apparently Shane does not like rape revenge films. Didn't know no, that. No, not into rape films. That's, I, I'll take that as a good thing, though. <laughs> and if you know anything <laughs> about my film choices, it's my favorite. <laughs> hey! <laughs> well, you love th- sex cults, so... <laughs> I do love me some sex cults. Cut it there! Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, the cops are here now! It's pretty <laughs> Pre-crime and pre-crime. Ah. Freeze, pervert. No, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> I haven't even called your mom. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just was thinking all the time how many people would be arrested just on the street. Where it's like someone cuts him off. He's like, fuck you. And they're like, freeze. Oh, shit. Thinking about running him off the road, were you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, the movie's the movie's funny too. Like I like the scene when they're in the the VR sex, like kind of. That's a very good little thing. It's a little stupid that this whole system got their technology from this rando. So apparently, this mind shit existed. I don't know. It's kind of sprinkled in there, but it is fun. It's a fun character, fun fun little idea. I was wondering if you got like um, triggered because I know you hate this thing when they mentioned the hive mind bullshit. Uh. I, I pictured in my head you watching that scene going, fuck you, because <laughs> you hate it's the hive mind argument. the most lazy sci-fi writing ever. It's so overused. It's like, fuck, how do we defeat this overpowerful thing? I mean, if it was so hard to kill one, we're fucked. Well, how about we make it so we only have to kill one? Oh, okay, yeah, that works. <laughs> Join us for Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> or Rain of Fire Part 2. <laughs> oh, side note, did you know that this is a TV show? They made a uh, a prequel, a sequel to this, actually. I can see it being a fun TV show. Yeah, I think you could delve into it a little more. I'm, su- I'm surprised it has not been remade for Netflix. It seems like a Netflix thing. Oh, it'd be it'd probably be a really good Netflix thing. Oh, it's actually Hulu. It's called Devs. Ew. Oh, oh, Devs, yeah. Release season four, Rick and Morty, you cocksuckers. I can't watch. Isn't it on there? I don't know where. I want to watch it for free. It's on HBO Go, sorry. HBO Go? Locked away with all the other Warner Brothers shit? But whatever, watch my Never Do Report, spend the $3, it's great. And we'll end with some music here. <laughs> my god, it's John Anderton. <laughs> it's Jason fucking Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, there we go. Anything for the good of the order before we start? The good of the order. Um, <laughs> can we get like rabble sounds in the background now? For the good of the order. <laughs> yeah. Order. Yeah. Order. Today we're discussing was... the film by Steven Spielberg, 
Minority Report. <laughs> May the representative of Ronnie bring forth their argument. <laughs> what kind of rep's name is Ronnie's from Ronnie? <laughs> I mean, it's 2055. Anything goes now. I mean, my buddy <laughs> literally just got canned for his wife spitting on him, and then the police busted him because she spit on him. He thought about slapping the shit out of her. Please tell me more. You can't not tell me <laughs> what the fuck is with this story. It's 2055, baby. Pre-crime's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> One plot hole from this fucking movie. Anyone that insults anyone could get arrested because everyone flashes murder through their <laughs> mind at, like, some point in the day. We'll get into the, um, apparently murder breaks the fabric of time and it's the worst thing human beings can do, so <laughs> that's why they know it's real, but they can't detect rape or kidnapping. Only murder. <laughs>